Welcome to the Color of Influence podcast, where you will hear conversations from influential people of color from around the world, from social media, and right here in your communities. These behind the scenes conversations will motivate you, inspire you, and encourage you. I am your host, Aisha Morgan, and let's meet today's guest. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and so I wanted my mom to come on to talk about not only mental illness, but also psychiatric hospitals. I feel like they get a really bad rap based off of what we see on TV and in movies. And so I wanted her to come on to talk about what it's really like in that setting. She also discusses how hard it is for the consumers while they're there and when they get out. And stay to the end of the episode because we give you lots of helpful information to help yourself or someone that you may know. Let's get into our episode. Okay, guys, welcome back. Today's guest is super special. It is actually Mother's Day that I'm recording this, and I'm here with my mom. And last year, my mom and I, in May, recorded this episode, and it was a total flop. The audio was messed up. There was no video. I imported it, and stuff was not going right. So I scratched the episode and we were supposed to re-record it and never did. So a year later, here we are. So I would like you all to meet my mom, Marion. And today we are going to be talking about mental health. So mom, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background dealing with mental health, and then we'll start our discussion. Hi, my name is Marion. I am a retired supervisor of recreation therapy. I worked uh, providing therapeutic services to at a psychiatric hospital. I also worked at a developmental center and I worked in various group homes with dual diagnosed uh, populations and dual diagnosed meaning developmentally disabled and mentally ill. For a lot, a lot, a lot of years. (laughs) So why don't you um, talk to us about when you first started in this field and how things kind of evolved? Because we know that back in the day, a lot of there, there weren't a lot of diagnosis. Um, Mental health wasn't looked at it the way it is today. So what year did you start? And then kind of talk to us about what did treatment look like for those individuals back then when you started? Um, I started in 1981 at a developmental center. At that time, they received, um, they had a team, and I was part of the team at that mm-hmm. time also. And they had an OT, their, uh, OT person, a PT person, <clears throat> psychiatrist. We had everything. So the, the houses that I worked in, um, were pretty well equipped with everything. Now, there were some buildings that th- w- considered mm, behavior buildings, let's say that, and they had a lot of mentally ill folks, ladies, because it was females, a lot of mentally ill ladies in this place, and they used a lot of behavior therapy, technically. Pretty much, that was all they pretty much got, because it was pretty bad, the yeah. behavior 
they displayed, but they weren't diagnosed as they are, they would be now. It was totally different. So it was more like they, they, you know, they had behavior problems and um, that's how they looked at it. And that's what they would address. And they would address them with the, we had behavior therapists, but not like the, the types today, not the different groups, not the different um, therapies that are offered today. So that was what, 40 something years ago <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. So you started at the, the developmental center. Yeah. When did you go to the psychiatric hospital? Uh, I went there in 80, about, it was 87. I went to the psych hospital in 1987 as a re as a, still as a, uh, actual therapist. I was actually working with, I was working with a group of females at that time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, uh, it was something <laughs> to behold. Uh, a lot of the, I started a lot of, I was with young females. They were all my age. So I tell you, it's, it's, it was a different type of world it was a different type of clientele. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like working with kind of like working with your peers, but when, once you were there and you saw what they were dealing with, mm-hmm. it was uh, an eye opener. I can say that. So when you say what they were dealing with, do you mean the consumers or do you mean the I mean, the, the late, the consumers and what they, what mental, what mental illness really looked like. So why don't you talk to us about that though? Cause, um, you don't have to name names or anything, but just describe what it looked like back then. Because I think that, um, a lot of us who think of mental illness and psychiatric hospitals back in the day, we think about things we saw on TV. So people in straight jackets and white rooms and, you know, walking around, talking to themselves with, you know, gowns on like hospital gowns, um, kind of isolated, screaming in rooms that are like closed off. That's what, you know, the majority of people think when they think of a psychiatric hospital. So what really did it look like back then? I mean, 1986, you know, that was a long time ago. Was it similar or? Yes and no. Um, everyone was housed in day rooms. So there was like about 30 some odd folks on one ward. Mm-hmm. Um, would be, there are quiet rooms, but there were no, there are, there were straight jackets, but there had to be a special case to have straight jackets. There were not no straight jackets, but they did use uh, medication was more medication. And the new medications were coming out. Zyprexa was just coming out. It was a big deal. Okay. And it built on quite a few people. Um, they were all housed together. There were, there are people walking around. There were people or are people walking around talking to themselves, but there's nothing wrong with the fact that you're talking to yourself. And a lot of the things, a lot of the things that people, uh, ideas that people have about um, folks with mental illness is that is a coping skill. Actually, if you're talking to yourself or the voices, you hear voices and you're answering the voices. And as long as they're not dangerous or telling you to do something dangerous, there's nothing wrong with seeing a person mutter or talk to himself. Cause that's, 
uh, oftentimes that's like a coping skill. And sometimes they would scream. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty bad when you see a person really being tortured, actually, by internal stimuli is what it was called. And uh, it's, it's, it's hard. But once you realize what's actually happening and why, which is, which is the problem, most people don't, know, don't understand the why of mm-hmm. mental period. They don't understand, you know, you see somebody acting wild and or different from the average. And, and you know, you're afraid, we're afraid of what we don't understand. Right. So, you know, it's, seeing somebody just walking around muttering or there were people who had, oh, you know, somebody may slap their face. They, there was a lot of things that would happen. Yeah. And that was self-injurious behaviors. And we had some. Not it's not regular, but the, the the average person in the psych hospital is an average. It's just me. It's just me with a little extra. Okay. I managed to manage. I have not been able to manage my illness, and that's all. You see, the same people are on the street possibly be able to manage them and you don't even know. So it might be serving you in a restaurant, maybe working in the grocery store. You have no idea because they manage their illness and right. uh, mental illness does not go away. It's you can't cure it. You can't, you can fix it. Technically they're just managing them, the illness. So mm-hmm. with patient and behavior therapies and that like, Okay. So, um, when you think about like the shining, is that what it looked like at the psychiatric hospital where you worked? No, they're just regular people. They, they try to, it's a homier type atmosphere with a whole lot of people in it. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like the shining. It wasn't like the one with nurse ratchet. It was, you know? Yeah. It was a, a large area. The areas are large areas that house a lot of people. And then you have dorm style, you have dorm style rooms. Mm-hmm. Like a, a, it looks more like a college, a college okay. dorm. You what go about- to have the, the, the room where everybody hangs out. You know, there was a small kitchen. They had, you know, bathrooms that uh, used by more than one person, just like in a dorm. It was a dorm. Bedrooms yeah. are like the dorm. What about like from the treatment aspect of it back then? Were they using, you know, I don't know, like just medical therapy? No, all of that was gone by the time. All that so that was, was real. Like they really used to use shock therapy and stuff. Used, they used shock therapy, and in the developmental center, they did it more than they did. Not while I was there. Okay. But I do. I did work with a, a female who they recommended shock therapy, and they sent her down to Absecon to a hospital where they actually did shock therapy on her because the type of illness she had would only respond to that. But she had to have special orders, and it was a whole deal. But none was done at the hospital that I worked in. Uh, nothing like that. It was all medication, pretty okay. much. There were. Um, straight jackets used, but that had to have a doctor's order and it was very rare. Restraints were used 
And we, as recreation, also had to learn how to tie a restraint. And mm-hmm. we just, if, if I had to use it in my programs, but we never did. If I was on the ward, though, we had to learn how to tie them to hand them to the staff who they, they usually just put them in a chair. So it was a four point, two point or four, no, five point for the developmentally disabled, usually, because that included your wrist your ankles and a lat belt, but it was four and it was just the wrists and the ankles and it was a a slip knot and they just on them. And then every 15 minutes they were reevaluated. So if you were calmed down, you had to be really, really, really bad though. And then if you were calmed down, you came out. So did they have everyone separated by the severity of their um, mental illness? At the time, yes, um, there were really bad wards. We had a, what was called an eye. It was like ICU, but mm-hmm. it was you and they were intensive therapy. Okay. These were people who were really pretty bad. And in that group, we had this guy. He was literally a genius. Mm-hmm. Tell you, he was a person who he used to live in New York and he went to Washington DC and he climbed through the grates and he literally got into the living quarters of the white house. Really? Yes, ma'am. He was Mm -hmm. absolutely a brilliant person. So, you know, they always say there's a thin line. He was a genius. He really was. And he literally got in the white house. When he got caught, he was on his way into the living quarters in the white house. Wow. him. I also worked with another person who is quite famous right now. He's got laws on the books under his name. He tried to fly a plane into the White House. Wow. Because <laughs> he was very angry. And both of those people were at the hospital at the same time that I worked there. And we had a president came to visit the town that I worked in. And the Secret Service came a week before. Well, they told them, you know, like a month before that the the president was coming to that town. The Secret Service came about a week there. And there was about five people in the entire hospital who they could not leave the wards when the president came. And those two (laughs) were those two were the they specifically named everybody. But those two were had to be kept in for a week before he came. And then when he was there, we had secret service on the ground and um, those people weren't allowed outside at all in mm-hmm. any form for one week before. And it was about, five, I think it was about five of them. So how did they get from DC to New Jersey? They actually lived in Jersey, um, but the one person escaped a lot. The one that actually got in the White House. And he, one time, he escaped. And one of our nurses had gotten married. Actually, the nurse that worked with him. She got married and she went to the Bahamas, Bahamas or Bermuda, Bahamas, on her vacation. Mm-hmm. Well, she's there in the casino enjoying their thing. And she looks up and that person who has escaped walked across the room. He was in the Bahamas. He was in the Bahamas in the casino she was in. (laughs) uh, Back. And 
escaped and whatever. And I guess New Jersey arranged with Baham- Bohemians to bring him back. <laughs> that is crazy. So you mean when he went to the White House, he was actually at the psychiatric hospital and escaped? More, yes. He left more than okay. one. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. So was he not like maximum security? Yeah, he, they stay maximum. Okay, there's a law in uh, New Jersey and it's named after a person named Crow. His last name was Crow. And it's a Crow song. Excuse me. Once a, that means that they cannot, in New Jersey, you cannot hold a person unless they are danger to themselves, others, or place things. Mm-hmm. If they're going to explode a building or something like that. So you can... As long as they're following rules and all, you they, they it gets decreased. Okay. Their security gets decreased. So we have levels. They had levels. Level one goes nowhere. Can no, I can't take I couldn't take them out. They couldn't go on their own. They could only maybe go to a doctor's appointment, but they would lift their to a level where they could be escorted for just long as they were wherever they went. Mm-hmm. A level two can be escorted. So I could take level twos outside but they had to be with and stay with me. A level three could walk around and a level four and five could walk around on their own. So they had between 30 minutes to two hours to walk around on their own. So and when you t- say walk around, is that only on? Only on the grounds. They could walk around the grounds. They had a store on the grounds. They had libraries. They had, we had rec rooms. We had a gym, which I managed. Um, you could, you know, you could do, they, they had a lot of things that they could do. Mm-hmm. Was so, there anybody that could actually leave and come back? No. No. Uh, unless they went home on a, on a vacation. Then you had to have orders from a doctor and a team that they, they were going to go home with their parents or, you know, a family member or whomever. Yeah. Uh, or the di- for the day, the weekend or whatever. And I'm going to tell you, we also had a person... We had the federal, the FBI come in and I got, um, had to be interviewed because every Sunday I would sit across the table from what ended up being a serial killer. Oh, goodness. Um, not Jeffrey Dahmer. I forget his name right this minute. It wasn't Jeffrey Dahmer, it was the other one. And literally he came every Sunday to see the person that I would take out every uh, weekend. Oh, and he, he was a visitor, not a visitor. And he would be at the store outside. Of, we had picnic, they had picnic tables. So I would bring the lady out and she, he brought their lunch and they would have lunch, but she was with me, but you know, he visited with her. So I, at the time, nobody knew who he was. Yeah. They found out who he was. And, uh, I mean, he got arrested cause he was, he was down, he was killing males and he kept them in the basement in mm. in the basement. And this man sat across from me, across the picnic table every Sunday for years. Wow. Yep. So when they, they came and we all had to be interviewed, everybody who would have been around and her ward. And they asked her, she has a, a daughter by this gentleman who testified at his 
trial. And they asked her about him and she said he never hurt her. He never, we never, I never heard him threaten her. I never heard him, you know, do anything negative. He did get orders to take her home. Mm-hmm. She the weekend and then he'd bring her back and he, he kept with in the rules and everything. Wow. So did he have the daughter? No, she was grown. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. He was, you know, caught in jail by then, but she was, no, uh, her family raised the the daughter. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he saw her or whatever, but she knew who her father was. She was like a late teens, maybe 20. And she testified at trial, you know, that he, she didn't want him to get um, the death penalty, but I think, I believe somebody killed him in jail. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, speaking of jail, I remember going to your office when I was younger and across from the open areas was like the closed in tall fence with prisoners there. Yes, that was part of that wasn't part of the hospital. They just leased our building. That was part of Southern State Prison. And that was minimum security. Those guys were at the end of their sentences and then they would go to halfway house, but they went out to work. Um, we had, they actually worked in our uh, kitchen. They okay. cleaned, they came and they had jobs on the grounds. They did, they worked in a storeroom <clears throat> they worked in the kitchen. Um, and then at night they had a group that went to the building, the kitchen and things and cleaned them at night. A oh, task. Okay. So they were, um, but they weren't part of the psych hospital. Oh, they got it. And at the buildings for the, the jail, the jail rented, the, the prison system rented our buildings. I always assume that, like, you know how people say when people go to jail, instead of them going to jail, they go to the psych ward or psych hospital? Well, we had that building. We had that building. That building was... Um, not guilty by reason of insanity. And it was weird. Those, those consumers were called the crows, meaning they had committed a, a crime, mm-hmm. which was, some of them were so heinous, you would not believe it. But they committed a crime and they um, were found not, not of sound mind. Okay. So they would, then they went to the the psych hospital and then we had a whole building full of those people. But um, that was why there was a person in New Jersey, last name of Cole, who he sued New Jersey that once he was no longer, you know, they were able to be kept indefinitely in jail Mm -hmm. hospital. So he sued the hospital, he sued the state and, they um, were not, as long as you were deemed, you served your time, you were deemed not a, a danger to yourself, others, or property, you could be discharged. So I, had, they would have to serve out, like if they had 20 years, they would have to stay 20 years. To stay 20 years, which they did. We had a guy who was a Yale graduate. He was the valedictorian, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. He developed mental illness. He worked on Wall Street and he was starting to get ill. It was about, you know, in their 20s usually, but 
He worked on Wall Street. Wall Street fired him when he couldn't really handle it because it's a high-pressure job. Right. He got find another job after that. He w- was ill. His mother was in at home and she was cooking. And I get this straight from the from the horse's mouth. He, you know, he told me himself. Mm-hmm. And he saw mo- his mother in his head was a demon. So he was he killed. He attacked his mother and killed, ended up killing her. His brother was upstairs, heard a commotion, came down, and he went after the brother, went running out the house, and he killed his brother. The next door neighbor heard, the saw the commotion, came out to help the friend, I mean the brother, and he killed the next door neighbor. And his friend drives up, and he sees this guy standing there in shorts, cut off shorts, and covered in blood, and he asked him what was going on so he killed attacked and killed him also he stole it took the car and they chased him down the garden state parkway the police were after him he stopped on a bridge and we went on a trip once and he said man we could take him on trips but they were uh had served a lot of time and had been able to get the levels to go out of the hospital mm-hmm. and i took him on a trip and he said marion this was the bridge as we were going down the parkway, this is the bridge that I stopped the car and he dove. He was a good swimmer. He dove off the bridge and swim. He said, and then for those, they didn't have those dogs. He, they wouldn't have caught me. Oh, wow. So he swam with the run through the woods and they had dogs and the dogs smelled him and got him. But yeah. Wow. But to look at a person who's mentally, uh, you, you have to be, you have to separate. And a lot of people did not work able to stop, separate the person from their illness. They're not okay. the same. Mm-hmm. They're not the same. And a mentally ill person will do something. And a person who's managed, has been managed their illness, they're not the same people. So a lot of people with mental illness, they have burnt their bridges. I, let me tell you that, you know, it, it's tough. Mm-hmm. And if, if your brother killed your mother you're not or whatever you're not talking to them usually so they had a really rough life but the fact is the person who killed that person was not in of sound mind mm-hmm. where a person who had ma- been able to manage themselves may never do something like that again right with that guilt though and a lot of times when the guys would be getting ready to get discharged and the, the psychiatrist would say he's either going he's not going to be able to deal with it mentally meaning you know you realize that you took your family's whole family's life and that person may go and take their own lives okay so for the people who weren't like max maximum security how did they get there like not the ones from jail but how were the, just the regular consumers, how did they get there? Um, probably 99% of the time through uh, behavior, a negative behavior. Um, they went, one guy went down into a car dealership and decided that this was his car dealership and everybody get out. And he just went in there and said, this is mine. Get out. Yeah. And, all the police and usually the police would take them to you. They go to the hospital uh, in 48 hours, 36 to 48, no, 72 hours, 36 to 72 hours. They put them on a short term and evaluate them. And if they're deemed ill, then they go to the hospital. You just can't walk up and be into a psych hospital. 
Got you have to be okay. two doctors. Okay. So from um, when they get in there and they're evaluated and then they go through their therapies, um, how are they able to get out? The medication usually, once they're stabilized on medication, most people, well, there's different levels of mental illness. And the most people who are uh, diagnosed with an acute diagnosis, acute means that it's short term, mm-hmm. a year, maybe five years, but that's what it means that you're going to get out. Right. So a chronic person, it's, would, it would be different. So um, as long as they went, they did all their therapies. You know, we had team meetings. We, we had to be part of the team meeting and we had to write um, on their um, team, on their papers work, what we were going to do. So OT, RT, PT, whatever they needed mm-hmm. um, was in everything because everybody got offered recreation. And actually, the state of New Jersey received money because uh, for recreation, because everybody had to be offered activities of some type. So um, the the team consists of the nurses and the doctors, the staffing, um, social workers, you know, the regular. And if that person followed everything, they met all their goals, they, they're stabilized on their medication, and then they would, the social worker would look for, or they would determine whether that person could live on their own, or they went in a group home, or they went to a, a halfway house, or, a, a, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then if that person was deemed okay, then whatever the housing arrangements would be, then they would be discharged to what or go back home, go back to the husband. We had, you know, there were young ladies there who had kids and husbands and they'd go back to their husband and kids if if they were deemed not a danger and they were okay. And there was lots of people like that. Their mental illness is more prevalent than you think. Mm-hmm. And and there was a lot of short short-term people, three months, six months, you know, a year. This had to be stabilized on the meds. And most people, just like a diabetic has to, who's, on in, who's insulin dependent, have to continue with that insulin. A person with mental illness has to keep up their medication. And a lot of people are like, I feel okay. If I take, you know, I, I feel mentally better. But if I keep taking this medication, I'm sluggish or I'm slow or it takes me a minute to think of something. I'm not as quick as I would be if I wasn't on it. So they don't take it again. And then we here we go again. And then the cycle starts again. And pretty much that's what I saw. Okay. We had returnees often because it's like, well, I'm feeling pretty good. I got a job. I'm working. I'm taking care of my kids. I'm, I'm, you know, doing whatever. So I'm a cut not only this medication anymore because I'm cured, but you're yeah. not ever, ever cured. Right. And sometimes in the, the same combination of work or sometimes it had to be a new combination because certain disorders eat away at the brain. So what worked when you first came may not work the next time. So there may have to be a new combination of medication for that person to be to, to get back to where they were. Yeah. 
So what about the ones that were not like they were going to be there for a while? What did their like process look like? If you know, they're not going to leave. They didn't want to leave a lot. We had a lot. And I, I worked afterwards in a group home with two who were called, who had the diagnosis. Their uh, access one was um, malingerer, meaning they were able to go out, but they didn't want to because it's safe in the hospital. They knew the rules. They knew what to do. But once you go out in the street or yeah. wherever you're going, the rules change. And that's scary to a lot of people. Right. And it was, you know, I know what to expect here. I'm going to bed at this time. I'm eating at this time. I'm taking my med. They're going to call me from my med and say, take it at this time. Do this, do that. I'm going to program. They're going to have this. We're going to, whatever. But mm -hmm. then when you get on your own in an apartment or home or go back home, it's a whole different world now. And the chaos is chaotic. Yeah. To a lot of people. And so they wouldn't leave. Got it. Literally didn't tell like this one lady, she, they told her she was going somewhere else. They packed up her stuff and took her to the group home, but it couldn't keep her in the group home. Cause she kept running back to Ancor. Yeah. Because she didn't want to be there. She didn't know how, you know, and I mean, I'm talking like 30, when she was there like 30 years. Oh, wow. And I was, yeah, about 30 years. So she didn't know any different. She didn't want to go. Yeah. And her, what she was there for was pretty bad. <laughs> Arson, actually, that she set the house and burned her husband up in it. Mm. But it was 30 years ago. Right. And they, you know, she was used to being there. She wouldn't, she didn't want to go. Yeah. Probably mm. just the PTSD too, maybe just. Probably. Yeah, it is. And, but, you know, unless you know what's coming, you know, what the trauma, trauma that people have been through, um, it's, it's really, really hard. The adjusting for some people, it's very hard to adjust because of it, you know, the trauma, number one is you go from what you, what is considered normal to an institutionalized space and everybody's telling you what you're going to do or not do. And it come in coming up in their lives. Most people who are ill have been through some type of trauma. The females have suffered sexual assaults and all kinds of traumas just because they're females mm -hmm. and that may have been that was ill. So there was so much going on so now you have to be careful how you talk to them and handle them in the space because anything could trigger yeah and in situations or whatever and then to take to have them or once they get uh, comfortable and in in dealing with what they've done and then they're feeling you know you've got them back to feeling better again and you're going now you, there's the trauma of you're going to put me back either I'm going back into a space that, you know, was traumatic for me, could have been yeah. traumatic. So it's real hard. It's a real difficult life to live. Number one. And it's a, and to treat. Yeah. And that no, not, I believe that fem the females had it worse than the males. Not that 
it's not as traumatic for males because it was, and there was a lot of PTSD and there were a lot, I've seen multiple personalities, what used to be called multiple personalities. I mean, it was, and there was one male. It's rare to, for a man, but there was actually one man and he went, and that was because of, of the trauma that he suffered. Mm-hmm. He had more than one personality. It was disassociative disorder. Yeah. So he, he didn't make it when he got discharged, he got discharged and, and he could not, he, a lot of people just can't. And he was yeah. one. He couldn't. Mm. It's hard. It's difficult. And, you know, when you hear some of the stories and some of the stuff that these people have been through, you don't understand. Not, I'm not going to say you understand the, be, you understand the behavior. No, you understand. You have a better understanding of what happened, where they went. Mm-hmm. where they went and why. And if you're, when you're not in control of your mind, it's a scary place. And it's some, a, a lot, most times a dangerous place. And I want to say here that, you know, anybody, if you feel anything like this depression, if you feel something is not right, you need to seek help and not be afraid to seek help. It's there. You just have to go for it sometimes or do you now, have to <laughs> when um, when would that be something that y'all would um, offer like at the psychiatric hospital? So people are being discharged. Were they able to contact like the people they were working with, the counselors, therapists or whatever in those situations? Or was it more of like, here's these numbers you can call these people if something happens after. Usually, yes. Usually they would, there's, there are teams out in the community. One I can remember is the PAC team. Mm-hmm. PAC team, I forget exactly. It's a, a initials for, I forget exactly what it means because I've been out of there now for over 10 years. But um, the PAC team, some people got discharged to a PAC team. And one of my folks that I know for a fact, he would went to a, the PAC team and they, what those people do, you, he lived on his own. The PAC team comes and they help you integrate back into the, uh, and back into society. You live on your own. They take you shopping okay. doctor's office. They help you set up doctor's appointments and that type of stuff. They help you with, you know, uh, going there and seeing your place where you're going um, your electricity, how you pay your bills, your budgeting, they take them, you know, whatever they need to do there. That's what they do. They're a support team. Okay. And many, many yeah. different that, uh, worked with the hospital. Now, they, uh, I just kind of want to shift gears a little bit. You kind of said that you felt like women, had it harder than men just based off of the population of people y'all had. So back in the day, I remember people felt like individuals in the LGBTQIA community had a mental illness because of how they perceived themselves. So did you have individuals that were hospitalized because of that? No, um, we had individuals who fell in that category, but 
they had mental, they were mentally ill. Okay. That's beside, you know, that was just a, a side, you know, that was different. That was just a person. Right. Who had a mental illness. Okay. So we had, we had a um, trans female. We had, a, he was a male that trans to a female at at one point and but he was mentally ill he was schizo there was he at the time he was a diagnosed schizoaffective disorder he had a disorder mm -hmm. <clears throat> they all have a disorder they're, it's not because they're a trans or not because they're they were gay or it was not because they were some people um when i worked in the developmental the develop mental center especially were considered wayward girls because they were um ill but they didn't follow the rules and they would got pregnant mm -hmm. they had sex and they wouldn't tell anybody you know they wouldn't tell the parents and the you know that stuff was hit <clears throat> so they the in the developmental center there were a lot of people put in there for Yes, but not at the psych hospital. No, they were ill. So the developmentally disabled center, you had a lot of LGBTQIA individuals. Had, yes, some, and we had people that didn't belong there. Okay, but so in you're the, saying like a, maybe a teen pregnancy or something like that could have and been. They, yes, and they were developmentally disabled. Okay, and had a mental illness as well. And they may have, you know, well, in the developmental center, they probably ended up in there because they were, you know, if they were gay, yes. And it was more so in there. I'm not so sure why. But in the psych hospital, no, they were there. You had to be put by two doctors. So you were ill. Got it. Okay. Seriously ill. Seriously ill. Where it affected your daily life, mm -hmm. where you did something atypical yeah. you burn down the house your home you hurt someone did they consider um postpartum depression is was that something that, that someone could be um hospitalized for yes and we had several okay and a lady that i worked with she was assigned to me they she hurt her baby, mm -hmm. but, but he stayed in her life. Her family stayed in her life. He was an infant when she did what she did to him. Mm -hmm. And she worked with me and she worked up her levels very, you know, she, she was a level to walk around and she worked and she got out of the hospital and went back home. Okay. And they brought her, brought her little boy to see her. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, so I guess just to wrap it up, um, tell us a success story that really stuck out to you from one of your consumers um, who was able to leave. Uh, okay. I had, I can tell you more than one actually, but one person was in the service, um, had post-traumatic stress, but they also had 
a mental illness, a, a schizophrenia, mm-hmm. was that was schizophrenia, ended up, killed his mother. He stayed in the hospital about 30 years. He was in uh, the a building, a maximum security hospital, came to our hospital, was in our maximum security, worked the way up, mm-hmm. out. Um, well, while in the hospital, took online courses for mechanics, saved money, did get veterans benefits and treatment, um, got out of the hospital, bought a house, got a car, got a part-time job and lives, unfortunately got throat cancer. Oh, wow. Yeah. And is now in the veterans hospital, but, um, made it. Yeah. He just followed what his doctor said and, and in, bought a house in a, in, uh, egg Harbor township, bought a house, had a beautiful four by four truck, got a part-time job, you know, was, got had cats, a, a stray cat came to the house. So they had cats and, would call, you know, and talk to, still talk to people, would call the hospital and talk to everybody. And uh, unfortunately, like I said, got throat cancer, but yeah. was doing okay. Good. So it does happen. It can happen. It does happen. But you have to, you know, you have to, number one, recognize there's a problem. And you can do nothing to a, with a grown person who refuses to recognize. And that's Right now, the problem in with mental illness, mm-hmm. it's a big problem that you cannot force a grown person who you know for a fact is ill to take medication and you right. cannot seek help. Right. But I would encourage anybody, if you need help, the resources are there, but you have to reach out for it. You have to be the one that, you know, you have to recognize that, that something's wrong. If somebody tells you something's wrong, try to look because not it's not always recognized. Well, it is, and a lot of people t- first thing they do is turn to drugs and alcohol because mm-hmm. they feel better. But you need to seek the it's there. You need to seek the help, and you really don't want to be in the hospital. So the guy that successfully, you know, was able to transition out, how? much support did he get when he left? Cause I feel like that's a big deal when you're trying to um, reacclimate into regular life to have a support system. He had a pack team and they, he had a regular psych visits. He had, um, you know, he had to, as support. And like I said, he was a vet. So he had veterans, okay. uh, veterans hospitals behind him, but he, you know, um, his medication was monitored, continued to be monitored. He, they would come and see that he was, you know, doing okay. If he wasn't depressed, that he did have something to do because just sitting in the house is not good either. Right. So they do offer program day programs, but he had a job. So, you know, he, he did okay. Good. Well, mom, I feel like that was a lot of good information. Um, as my mom said, you know, please go out and seek help, whatever that looks like for you. Um, 
you know, there are many online services that are available. I know there's a website called Better Help, um, Better Health or Better Help. I think it's Better Help. Um, there is a suicide prevention line that you can contact. I know their number is 1-800-273-8255. And then there's also the crisis hotline. There's a suicide prevention online.org um, that you can use. There are many different services. Um, and for those of us who know people, um, you we cannot be afraid to suggest that our friends and our family members seek help um, regardless of what we know for them to get help. And sometimes seeking help is saying, mom, dad, sister, brother, I need help. Or to listen, I need somebody to listen. Yeah. And that is important. Um, you know, everybody always talks about check on your strong friends, um, check on your strong family members. But I feel like especially now, we are all the strong friends and the strong family. So we just need to check on everybody. This pandemic told um, us that. <laughs> yes. So just check on your family, your friends. Um, don't be and afraid. To... Looks okay is okay. Say that again. Not everyone who looks okay or says I'm okay is okay. Right. And we can't be afraid to ask tough questions um, to our family and friends to get more information um, about how they're doing instead of just saying, how are you? Are you okay? Um, especially if you have an inkling that there is something more than meets the eye, you know, don't be afraid to have tough conversations and ask tough questions. Um, so I, I hope that today's conversation was helpful. Um, I just wanted to give information about psychiatric hospitals because I do feel like they get a bad rap all right. Well, thank you, mom, so much. That was a great conversation. I'm glad we finally were able to make it happen. <laughs> Through all our mishaps. <laughs> I know. Even from today. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Bye. And that's a wrap on another amazing episode. I know that you were just as inspired as I was after listening to that conversation. And to let us know how we're doing, don't forget to leave us a review, like, share, and follow the podcast. Also, make sure you follow us on all social media platforms at The Black Girl Blogger and check out our website, www.theblackgirlblogger.com. And the most important step Make sure you share the podcast with someone you know and tell them to share with someone they know. And if you know someone who has an amazing story to tell or if you yourself would love to tell your story, leave us a message on our website or any of our social media platforms so we can reach out to you and have you on the podcast. Until next time, peace out. <laughs>